0: I don't know uh, how it is where you are, but here in Copenhagen, there's a very clear blue autumn sky and yeah, the sky is a good point, a good reminder of what we are. Don't know how to say it. I wanted to say searching, but that's not uh, the right expression. What we uh, what we could recognize that there is a sky like vastness the spaciousness in the nature of love available to us in any moment and gazing into the sky or remembering the blue sky is is a provisional step of course because we are still working with a concept with a mental image but it can be a bit of a stepping stone into the experience of the spacious clarity of our mind. So the assumption for this weekend is, to put it in Lama Yeshe's words, you have everything available right now to be complete. This is the assumption. The narrative self always tells the story, this is not good enough, this is not it. If I only, then, if I only are better, if I only find a nice apartment, if I only move out of my depression, if I only find the right partner, then... And the narrative self will never stop that story, because that would be its end. It lives from that. The narrative self is the seeking self. The narrative self is the dissatisfied self. And it loves it. Because that's what it couples up. This, this is the energy it runs on. And even after, I mean, some of us we have like at least fifty years behind us. Some of you not, but we should know, know by now that that, that 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 project is not working out. But still, we're still trying. We still have this stuff going on, if only. And in the Buddhist view, this is even worse because we have done this since beginning this time. So we actually had all the things already once we are still hoping to attain in this life. So the narrative self covers up the wholeness we are through the seeking. And then, of course, we bring this into our spiritual practice. So even our spiritual practice is just a seeking improvement project of the narrative self. So the one of the ideas in Buddhism is that there is some benefit in that improvement project the progressive path the gradual path because it is a bit more difficult to wake up when your heart your body your mind your subtle energy body is Very contracted. So, most of the Buddhist practices have the purpose to dream a better dream. But not for the sake of having a good dream, but to create a dream where the probability is higher for waking up from the dream altogether from the good dream and from the nightmare, both. One of the challenges to wake up is the need of the narrative self to understand and to do something. It's difficult for us to trust that this short teaching I just quoted from Lama Yeshe, you have everything available right now in this moment in order to be complete, in order to come to the end of seeking. It's difficult for us to trust, to trust that 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 is applicable for this being, this being which carries your name that you don't need to be a Tibetan man to be suitable to wake up. On the other hand, most of us, maybe all of us, we have glimpses of boundarylessness, of connectedness, of openness in nature, in love, in, in music, in dance, In certain places, you know, kind of power places, pilgrimage places where you might have been. We all have experience of being in the drama, being contracted, and then we step out into a blue autumn sky and something in us opens. We become more spacious. And the drama doesn't disappear but it becomes insignificant. So part of discovering the sky-like, empty, cognizant, spacious heart, heart heart-mind, it's good to Emphasize this kind of experience, to notice them. Even if it's just a little bit, if even if there's just this normal development throughout the day or throughout a week, between contracted, very contracted and less contracted, and then even more spacious, more more open. to appreciate these experiences. It's also possible uh, to use memories of this kind of experience, conceptual images, stories, as as a door to reconnect with that experience. Later I will lead a meditation where I will invite you to use that method So before the first meditation, I would like to uh, read a quote from Jack Kornfield again. As spaciousness opens within you. So that's the first recognition, as spaciousness opens within you. And here again, we don't go for 100% spaciousness. Yeah. so if there's a little letting go, a little like just even through uh, like with the out breath uh, yesterday I emphasized the out breath a lot and one can like like as if you are sighting you know, like after a hard day you're sitting down on a park bench and you're kind of yeah, you let the balloon. Yesterday, I used this image of the balloon. the The contracted space within us is like a balloon, and we can just let it go, and it drifts off into the blue autumn sky, and becomes tiny. So that's the spaciousness. And I think a little bit, is is that is available. At any moment, even like when you're very reactive when something really heavy is happening, I think it's always possible through breath and some movement, stepping out, looking at a tree, you know, to have a bit of that experience. And you just have to do it. I mean, something in us, of course, doesn't want to do it. Because sometimes something in us likes to be stuck. We get even upset if someone makes a suggestion, yeah just go for a walk, get onto your bike, drive to the forest. No, I can't do this. I, I don't want to do this. So as spaciousness opens within you, you can experience a profound silence in your very being. The profound silence. You may feel nervous at first. Yesterday I I talked about that experience of shrinking or that experience of that you are standing on a doorstep and There is that vast unknown space and and you just don't dare to make that step. There's fear, there's shrinking. So he, he calls it nervous. Sometimes in our life, uh, in, on our journey of awakening, we might spend a few years on that doorstep. Maybe dipping our toe a little into the unknown space, but then retrieving. Yeah. And maybe sometimes coming to a place where, where, where we even avoid to go to that doorstep. It is a death. And since we are identified with what we are not, that is the part which has to die. Standing on that doorstep, we are confronted with the fear of death. With the fear of death of the relative self, of the conditioned self, of the mini-me, of the narrative self. So the nervousness or the shrinking is a good sign. It's a good thing to stand there at the doorstep and returning. It's important to return to that doorstep. This is uh, something uh, Lama Sopa says often, that some people make then the decision not to go to the doorstep anymore because it's so scary. So they avoid practices like we're doing now. Bit part of the awakening process is that we become tolerant towards the discomfort which is experienced at that doorstep. Not giving up. You may feel nervous first at the same time, you have longed for this. Yeah, probably you know, some of you can really notice that there is that on one hand there's shrinking, on the other hand, this yearning, this longing, this longing to unify, this young, this longing to merge, the intuitive, the intuitive knowing that there's more than the rat race. The red race towards more, towards the red race of productivity, the red race which comes from the idea that our value depends on what the outcome is, what the output is in terms of money, possessions, number of friends or whatever. So there is a longing, a yearning, I mean, you are here today, so a longing and yearning, which probably started to emerge within you when you were already a teenager, maybe already as a child. This is the vast silence that surrounds life. Trust it and rest in the stillness. Feel your heart open and become more fully alive. Everything that arises from the silence is only a cloud in the vast sky, a wave on the ocean. Rest in the depths of silence. As I said yesterday, in the silence here, the stillness, presence, unconditioned awareness, Buddha nature, the one who knows, so different different words, different pointers, also in different traditions, to that which is undescribable and ungraspable. This silence we are exploring here is a silence without cause. It is a peace without cause. So it is not, there is also the peace with cause, a silence with with cause. I mean, sitting in a silent room, uh, that's a silence with cause. And at one point it will be destroyed because the conditions will change. There is also the peace with cause, like a peace which arises when the relative level, sem, the condition level of mind is peaceful. And that's appropriate to use provisional methods to have a wholesome impact on the condition level. But here in this practice we are looking for something else. We allow something else to reveal itself. Something which is already here. We just start to notice it. And that silence, that stillness has no cause. It is independent from what is happening. Nothing and nobody can take that away from us. Because we are it. So instead of trying to do something so that the clouds become more transparent or they disappear completely, we start to notice the sky, which is always there, even on a cloudy day. That silence is not separate from the noise. So it's not When there's noise or contraction on the relative level of mind, dark clouds, it's not that the silence, the primordial silence, the primordial peace, that that is somehow behind that or... I mean, there is pointers like that, but they are also provisional. So... so what we start to recognize is the silence and the sound. That sound and silence always come together. That movement and stillness are together. They are one phenomena. We see the stillness and movement. We experience the stillness and movement. We hear the silence in the sound. We experience love in that in that, which is conceptually not called love. We experience the love in the anxiety, in the, ex- in the depression. Not as something separate. That's what the narrative self, self thinks. First, this needs to go away, and then. If only, and then. So we start to see... And here, a difference between telling another story and really seeing it, but we start to see as everything as the radiation, the display, the manifestation of primordial peace, which is in the nature of love. So, not only a cognitive reframing from anxiety, but actually seeing anxiety as the display of unity, the radiance of God, the display of emptiness. So, this moment, and this is a quote from uh, the Gelugma Mutta text this moment is unity, emerging from unity, dissolving back into unity. Uh, Jesus said it in another way heaven is now. Our teach Natan says, You are sitting in the pure land now. And I can almost hear all the, all the defense and all the buts of the narrative self. Yeah, but how can anxiety be love? And so it, it, starts to, it, it starts to get nervous. And it starts to understand, it tries to understand what is being said. But the one who knows, and that's the one I'm talking to, feels confirmed. Uh, Feels empowered. So let's start the day with uh, a meditation like yesterday, and part of this meditation will be a bit of uh, the mentor bonding process, the teacher bonding process, also called Guru Yoga in the Tibetan tradition. And now if that kind of symbolic uh, practice is not uh, suitable for you, you just, just let it pass. Yeah. So just listen to the words and continue to do what you're doing. So it's not never helpful to try to put yourself into a straitjacket of practice, which at least right now doesn't make sense to you. So, but for the, for those who have some access to the symbolic level of practice, uh, you uh, you might benefit from this kind of practice. While we're doing this practice, so while we call upon the Buddha or Jesus or Tara, we keep an awareness that we are not relating to a being somewhere which we ask to come, but we understand that these are projections. And these projections, these archetypical symbols of Buddha nature, they are reflections of our own true nature. So we relate in the projection to a teacher, we relate to the inner teacher. We start to relate to the inner teacher, to the inner guru. The outer guru is a reflection of the inner guru. So guru yoga is not uh, worshiping someone. It is worshiping your true self. That's what you worship in guru yoga. That's what you pay homage to. That's what you confirm. So the first step is to assume your seats as the practitioner on the vajra seat under the Bodhi tree and in this posture we express our commitment to be here to be loyal to our experience as it is and we feel the strength of the earth and the spine So the shoulders can relax, and also the front softens. Then you can close your eyes, or if you keep your eyes open, then your gaze is relaxed. The shift is happening from the head into the body. from the doing state to the being state It might be helpful to lightly place your attention on the flow of the breath. The in-breath sliding or dropping into the body. And experiencing breath and awareness as healing hands, as soothing energy. And in this way, you welcome the guests in the guest house of the body. And you befriend your own energy. And then with the out-breath, there can be the letting go, the dissolving into spaciousness. So there's a rhythm of holding softly, touching gently, embracing. And then naturally, with the out-breath, letting go. And we can appreciate that we're doing this together in the field of the group. Nobody is alone. Our hearts can mingle. breathing together and uh, the radio station of the narrative self, the inner gossip, the inner shattering, continues, but it becomes less important. You don't emphasize it so much. It goes into peripheral awareness, into the background. And you become aware that whatever you experience right now is an experience within awareness, within consciousness, like a dream. And within the space of awareness, we call upon the presence of our mentors, teachers, guardians, protectors. And they spontaneously manifest in the space around you. Like the morning sun rising after a night of terror And you are bathing in the morning sun with your whole body. Warming, relaxing, softening. If that is helpful for you, you can have mental images of the Dalai Lama, Jesus, or some other mentors you have had, people who for you embody loving stillness. Their loving gaze, their smile, their warmth. You can hear them you can smell them, you feel their energy, as if you're surrounded by protective angels. So we are in different cities, in different countries, and we imagine also the space between us. And being filled with the loving stillness, the tender aliveness, the joy. You could also imagine that a mentor like Tara or His Holiness, the Dalai Lama, holds your hand or puts her hand onto your shoulders and you feel the warmth and vitality of that touch radiating into your body. And whatever arises within you is arising within that radiance like clouds in the autumn sky. And then you rest. And there's experiences, the conditioned mind, SEM. The display of your karma, including the sense of I. And all of that is happening within awareness. So you don't really know where it is. It's happening. But where are your thoughts and the sensations and the feelings and the sounds? You can't localize it. And then the Mentors, they dissolve into into the light, into the spacious love, and it fills your body completely, every cell of your body, from the toes to the top of your head. every cell of your body opens like a flower and you become aware of the Buddha within the loving stillness within particularly at the heart level your heart opens like a flower and from the Buddha within, from the Goddess within From the Dalai Lama within, loving stillness starts to radiate from your being to the pores in your skin, into your surroundings, into the group, into your life. You sit in the center, the mandala of your life, past, present, and future as the source of peace, stillness, love, and then you rest. So there is the moving mind, the inner dialogue, sensations, the breath, my voice, the sounds around you, mental images, memories, distractions. But isn't there also presence in unfathomable and un- unfathomable? ungraspable, undescribable mystery. Boundaryless and centerless, timeless. As if you are in the ocean Turbulent ocean and you sink into the depth, into the stillness of the depth. And then you rest. If there's just a glimpse of relaxation, of lightness, of peace, of aliveness, you emphasize that. making the backward step until there's nothing more to step into. And then you pause, you rest. You look and you rest. notice that there's urges of controlling or fixing of trying to get something or trying to get rid of something. With the outbreath you with the outbreath you relax at grasping as if you're opening a fist. You let go. Whatever arises is loved. That doesn't mean you need to like it, but it is still love. the silence pervades the moving mind. Peace is not separate from your experience. There's nothing you need to understand, nothing you need to do. You can't do this wrong. You can't do this right. Just be. And that is effortless. It's already happening. Every thought, every feeling, every sensation is a wave in the ocean of unity. dissolving back into unity every thought sensation sound is emerging from infinity is infinity and dissolves back into infinity transition out of this part of the meditation in your own pace. You become more aware of your surroundings, maybe moving your body, stretching, but not leaving the sacred spot, the holy ground, the Seed as a practitioner. Maybe there can be a bit of a sense that you are not looking through your eyes. That awareness, that the looking is not localizable. awareness is pervading everything. And that what you experience is also in the nature of consciousness. You always only experience consciousness. like in a dream. You always only experience yourself. So if you have no respect towards the cup you're holding then you have no respect to yourself.